what causes those hiring managers to make decisions? The beginning is the first impression. Convey the image that you want them to see you as. The more that you can quantify your expertise, the better. Do you want to be the absolute best candidate for a job you'll love in a career with balance? Veteran leadership career catalyst Jonathan Flax is teaming up with leading executive search professionals to provide you with cutting-edge career transition strategies. Welcome to Career Transition Experts. And now, here's your host, Jonathan Flax. Oh, I'm really, really excited to introduce you to Scott Love, who's been a recruiter focusing on working with attorneys since 1995, and he's the founder of the Attorney Search Group. Scott, welcome to the program, and please tell our listeners, uh, whether they're an attorney or not, what would, what would they learn and uh, benefit from listening to this episode? Sure. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. I will teach them how to sell themselves more effectively during their interviews and get the job that they want. Excellent. That's what that's what we all want. So that's fantastic. And you know what? I, I interview a lot of executive search professionals, but not not many that are also professional speakers. Uh, your experience includes being a professional speaker on the topics of recruiting, uh, rainmaking for other, you know, like getting clients and and, and retention. So these are all really important uh, aspects for for business uh, decision makers. And most of the lis- listeners are not only candidates looking to hire, but also end up being hiring managers themselves. That's right. That's right. Uh, you wrote a book called Why They Follow. I love that. It's uh, similar to a book I read recently called Why They Buy, which is based on personality and and uh, values-driven decisions. And you have a podcast also like we do. So the Rainmaking Podcast has been running since 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, love for people to check that out as well, especially if they're uh, rainmakers for law firms or any kind of Yeah, anybody in sales. Anybody in sales, yeah. business development, it's a, good, it's a good show for them. Very good. Uh, I also salute you as a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy and a member of uh, the, the service warfare team. Scott, you have a lot of really interesting experience to share. Uh, where should we begin? I would say let's talk about your listeners, uh, about where they hope to shine on their career transi- transitions. I know there's a lot of stress associated with making a move in itself and then even mm-hmm. more stress, uh, hyper stress during the interview phase. And so I'd, I'd like to kind of spend some time talking about how I can help your listeners shine a little bit brighter and be the one that everybody wants during the interviews. Okay, great. Well, I appreciate that. The typical uh, listener to our program and candidates in our in our client base are uh, what we call outstanding leaders. Mm-hmm. And internally, we refer to them as uh, leadership career lovers, meaning they they, they love and are passionate about having an outstanding career uh, where they provide business success, but also enjoy outstanding career satisfaction with happiness and balance every day. These are people who are committed to growth. They make really good money and want to make good money. Yep. They're committed to balance and giving yeah. back and, you know, like that. That's great. So let's start with what is like some of the key things in the interviewing process? We'll focus on interviewing today. Sure. Uh, that, that you feel are some of either the key things that maybe is taught but is forgotten or maybe something unique that, you know, tell us a little bit about the kind of uh, executives and leaders you deal with. Sure. And let's kind of talk about beginning, middle, and the end. I'll kind of uh, parse it into three different sections there. The beginning is the first impression. And we all know that first impressions stay with people a long time, but it's not necessarily the first impression that they have you as a prospective employee. It's the first impression they're going to have of you as a potential colleague. 
So keep that in mind that this isn't something that's just for an interview. If you get hired, this is how that person's going to see you forever. And so you don't want to be someone that that says a cuss word during an interview Mm. that is unprepared, that just says, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't been to your company's website page yet. Uh, What was that URL again? Uh, You Mm. want to be prepared for that. You want to, uh, I would even recommend, have your questions written down. What are the important questions that you want to ask that company and be prepared with that? So I mean, the one thing I'd say is think about the beginning and then during the middle. Uh, and I'll kind of get into this a little bit more, uh, being able to sell yourself. And I'll, I'll talk more about that. And then even at the end, when you send that thank you email, I would even say go a little bit further and do it old school. How about a handwritten thank you note? How many of those do you think they're going to get in their lifetime? Probably mm. just a handful, and yours will be one of those. Mm. So those are a couple of things I'd recommend. And this isn't anything that uh, people haven't heard before. It's just reminding people what causes those hiring managers to make decisions. Those are kind mm. of the, the the areas where people are going to pay more attention. Mm. Yeah, got that. Yeah, the research shows that whether people are aware of it consciously or unconsciously, well, we make decisions about uh, a lot of what we encounter super quickly. Right. Yeah. And those are locked in. And then we use experience and logic to try to confirm those experiences. For example, the research shows decision makers spend seven and a half seconds looking at a resume before making a decision on look to look further. So are there other insights you might share about that first stage of preparation? What else can a person prepare either psychologically, emotionally, or just mentally in terms of information? Yeah, that's a good question, Jonathan. When people see us, they're making a judgment. Today during our interview, I'm wearing a golf shirt and a sweater. And if I was meeting with a prospective client or somebody that I wanted to hire me, I'd probably have a, a sports jacket on. So I would keep it to a professional level. You want to convey the image that you want them to see you as. I think a coat and a tie, when people are working at home, it may seem like you're trying a little too hard. I always say a sports jacket with a collared shirt is a good Mm. first business casual meeting during Mm. that. I think secondly, spend time on the company website. Look at at the bios of those people that you're going to be interviewing with on LinkedIn. Check that Mm. out. See where they worked before. See if you can find potential connection points. He worked at a company you worked at the same time six years ago, and you worked in different departments. Another person you're interviewing with, the executive, she's the one that's making the decisions. She has one of your friends that works in her department currently. And you wouldn't have known that had you not made that effort to find that connection point. Did you go to the same school? Do you live in the same area? I think people feel safe when they see people that have areas that are in common with each other Mm. that causes Mm. them to feel safe. It causes Mm. them to feel like there's some sort of a connection. So those would be the things I focus on prior to the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. We have a deep rooted caveman uh, brain function still between our ears and our (laughs) skull. So that sense of tribal connectedness and commonality does really go, go a long way. Um, as as well as looking in advance, so not only some of the things you pointed out, but we also encourage people to look at, and and this may we, we may tip touch some of the things you and I have in common philosophically from your book, why they follow. If you if you look at someone's LinkedIn, you can see what values they follow, what kind of interests they have, what kind of trajectory their career has taken. You get a lot of clues on what's important to someone. Right, absolutely so right. More, 
about um, uh, what they could then bring into an interview and maybe share with us some of the insights from from your book, why they why they follow. Because we're talking about leadership level conversations. And so we want everyone to have like a leader to leader conversation. That's right. And I think that when it comes to selling yourself as a prospective employee, the more that you can quantify your expertise, the better. If you could give an opinion that you have of yourself, that could be in question because, of course, you have an agenda. You want to get the job. But if you can answer it with a numerical value, then you quantify your expertise. Well, tell me about why you think you're so good in sales. Well, I was number one in 17 sales reps in our region for the past three years. And I was 20% ahead of the number two person. Mm. That kind of quantifies that. Mm. Uh, Specificity always builds credibility in an argument. I heard a speaker named Patricia Fripp say that a long time ago. Specificity Mm. builds credibility. Be precise in your communication. And another thing you can do, I've read a lot of resumes, and I know you have also, Jonathan, and I think people tend to go back to what our parents told us, which is don't brag about yourself. Mm-hmm. But this is the one moment in your life you have to brag. And so yeah. you can brag about results of how did you rank yeah. within your company? How much money did you make the organization or did you save the organization? How much did you grow it? Or yeah. if you're not in that kind of a role, if you're in a, a consulting role, how much did you help your client? Maybe there's a testimonial that your client has that you could put on Mm. your resume at the bottom. Something that substantiates your value and your expertise. And when you Mm. look on your resume, this is what you did. Go through your resume and ask yourself this question. Each time you read a line on your resume, at the end of it, say, so what? Why is that important? Mm -hmm. How did that make an impact for somebody else? Always look through what was the result of this. Well, you built this project or you led this team, but what was the result of that? Mm. Always want to connect those dots. I think that's how people, especially executives, they're programmed to look in terms of results, outcomes, deliverables. So when you sell yourself, you need to speak in that same language. Mm. Yeah. To quote a friend of mine, who's recording a little bit, uh, Matt Budd, who founded the Financial Executives Networking Group, was known to say, if it's a fact, it's not bragging. So for those of you listening who were brought up with that (laughs) value, and it's a little bit of emotional practice talking about those facts, as Scott has suggested here, uh, with numeric and specific examples, and you'll feel a little less like bragging and more like giving someone the gift of your your talent in the terms that they can understand, measurable terms. Uh, So you've read this, you and I both believe in this theoretically, but tell us about this, what we just spoke about, Scott, in practice. Do you see the difference between those people who interview and whose resumes have the specificity in terms of how they're selected by clients of yours, how they're accepted and moved on in interviews, or even how they get job offers. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that correlation. You bet. And I think, and that's a good question, Jonathan, it's a matter of mitigating risk. When someone is making a decision to hire an individual, of course, they want that person to work out. But that executive also has a lens through which he or she is looking, which is how is this going to make me look? Mm. And am I going to look like an idiot if I hire somebody that doesn't work out? Mm. And so keep in mind, and I don't mean to sound cynical or jaded that way, but Mm. everybody's doing this for their own personal agenda. For example, Mm. when you're selling to a company, you're not selling to a company, you're selling to an individual. Everybody has their own personal agenda. So you need to sell to that. That's how you kind of hit that emotional cord. And, and, when people make buying decisions, and that's what you're looking for, you're looking for that prospective employer to buy you, to say right. yes to you. Yeah. There's yeah. always an emotional 
context to the decision. And whenever I train salespeople or those in a business development role, I say, you're selling to a company, not uh, you're selling to an individual, not necessarily to a company. There's always a personal and an emotional context. How is this going to help that person on a personal and an emotional level? So I think you need to realize that the person that is interviewing you is looking to mitigate that risk. How do we know with certainty there's a high likelihood this new employee is going to work out? Well, what's the track record? This is a testimonial on my LinkedIn page. Call John Smith. I worked for him four years ago. He was my direct supervisor for a period of five years. That means I didn't move around in five years, however long it is. In some industries, two years is a long time, 10 years is a long time. If you can show stability based on what's normal, then you gain an edge into being mm. a less risky hire. Mm. Uh, there's actually a presentation I'm doing at a conference later uh, in a few months called Better Than a Coin Flip, How to Use Game Theory to Make Better Placements That Work Out Over Time. Mm. How do you get better odds? And the same thing mm. I would tell to people that are interviewing, how mm. do you show that you can mitigate the risk that you're a safe bet for that person mm. who's looking to hire you? But that's the way I'd recommend that they think of it. Right. And you see examples. You uh, said examples someone went south and didn't, didn't quite follow your advice. I think they just got so focused on what they want and they didn't show that they would be a good firm citizen. And that's something I tell every candidate that obviously you are more than just someone who's selfish. You need to convey that to the people you're interviewing with. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I want to ask a question with respect to that. I don't want to interrupt you uh, without respectfully requesting them. I do so. <laughs> I'd love it. to ask. I'd love to ask if you have a specific example. I sometimes ask my guests, "What's the sm- dumbest thing you've seen a smart person do?" Oh yes, uh, I think it was because I work with a lot of smart people. Oh yes, it's not showing enough enthusiasm for the opportunity. Mm. It's somebody that says, I'm going to hold my cards close to my vest and Mm. I want them to chase me and Mm. I'm going to play this really cool. Mm. Well, no, people don't want to hire people like that. If you're interested in the job, you need to tell them that. You need Mm. to show, if you're sincerely interested, you need to show enthusiasm because there's two or three more people that are just as good as you, maybe even a little bit better. And companies will hire someone who might not be as qualified who shows a little bit more enthusiasm for the job and the team mm. that really connects well with the team. Sometimes companies mm. will go that route. They will say, this mm. is a less risky candidate because we think so-and-so is going to be really easy to work with compared to the other person that we talked with. Mm. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Great, Scott. I'd like to ask us also a couple of personal questions. Uh, do you have a favorite cause that you support? And as a musician, I'd like to ask, do you have a favorite artist that you enjoy? Yeah, I'll start with the second one because uh, my wife and I moved to Richmond about two years ago, but I go to D.C. a lot uh, now. Right. COVID hopefully is getting better. I'm there a lot more frequently. My wife and I love to go to uh, Blues Alley in mm. Georgetown, where we've seen some amazing jazz performers. I've never seen Joey DeFrancisco yet, who is a, he plays a Hammond organ. I would just love mm. to sit and listen to him play somewhere. Mm. So I was on his website earlier today. His uh, his traveling event uh, venue doesn't line up with my schedule, but someday. Mm. But uh, and, and what was the first question you asked, Jonathan? I got so well, interested. Well, comment as a keyboard player, I'm going to take your recommendation and listen to the Hammond organ. <laughs> Uh, Joey DeFrancesco, uh, yeah, uh, favorite cause that you support? Oh, yeah. So there's two of them. One of them is Capital Partners for Education, where people talk about diversity, 
But the problem with diversity candidates is supply and demand. There's a lot of demand, but not a big mm. supply. So you have to go mm. deep. Uh, mm. CPFE, Capital Partners for Education, they're a DC-based group that pairs professionals to mentor inner city kids in Washington high schools mm. that mm. come from families that haven't gone to college. Mm. So the kids have to compete for that. They can't have anybody that has college backgrounds in their family. And so we mentor them. So I've been mentoring my kids since he was 16. He's a freshman at UDC. His name's Blessing. Mm. His family came from Nigeria. So we talk every month. We meet frequently. Mm. And the goal is to mentor kids to show them that you can do this. You belong mm. here. And many mm. times you have to borrow confidence from other people. We all had people mm. help us when we were growing up. So I think mm. it's a duty and a responsibility for every professional to do something to help younger people, especially now. How do you increase the diversity pipeline? You go deep into high schools and show mm. them that they can be professional. So that's one group I'm very passionate about. And the other one is Protect Our Defenders. It mm. is a group that supports those on active duty who have been sexually assaulted or sexually harassed or abused uh, mm. by uh, many times the officer corps or other people in the military. Right. And it supports them uh, because that's an epidemic in the military. One out of four females have had those types of situations happen to them on active mm. duty. So it's an epidemic. Mm. So that supports the victims, and it, uh, it's something I'm able to connect uh, my law firm clients and their pro bono teams with mm. that group. So those are those are two groups I'm very excited about uh, being involved. Mm. In. It's really meaningful. I really get this. Thank, thank you, Scott. Well, we will put your contact information in our show notes so people can check out your podcast, so they can buy the book, why why they follow, and um, I want to just thank you for sharing your insights and your enthusiasm. On the career transition experts. Thanks a lot, Scott. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you very much for listening to the career transition experts. We hope you got something of value and would love to hear from you on what you did learn and how this episode made a difference. If you'd like to contact or reach our guests, take a look at the show notes and you can also find there a link where we will send you a free copy of our resume preparation checklist. If there's anything we can do to help you fulfill your vision and make that transition smoothly, contact us. We are here for you. Thanks again for listening. Hope to see you again soon. Bye for now.